Welcome to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. Thank you for pressing play. Well, it's 2017. Can you feel the sense of promise in the air? Do you feel overwhelming surges of hope in your heart? Yeah, me neither. But I want to do something about it. Because I don't want to, like, spin the next future of my life just in constant worry and fear and dread and despair and so I want to do something about it and I think there's things that I can do outwardly and also inwardly and since my time is so tight it would be really great if I could do something externally and internally simultaneously that I could do an activity that would help both of those areas. And as ironic as this is for me and my past lives, I think one of those unifying good for the internal, good for the external activities is cleaning, cleaning house. And I mean that, and you'll see in this podcast, in a literal and in a metaphorical way as well. So if you don't have anything to do, you can pop this on your headphones and grab some supplies, and let's clean. Self-care is a huge, huge tool to finding your authenticity in a way that you learning how to take care of yourself you're kind of learning what your self is and as you start to take care of yourself uh, I believe you'll you'll discover if you haven't already just how important environment is to you that the environment that you spend most of your waking hours in it affects you even if you believe that you can be in complete disregard of it 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 affects you it affects how your uh, thoughts form and it affects your perspective and your sense of authenticity and that environment can become cluttered that environment can become dirty in fact dirt and clutter are kind of just the inevitable results of the passage of time and so part of our self-care can be maintaining our environment and our most immediate environment our house is a good place to start. Y'all like that music, right? I am pleased to introduce some of you, maybe to a guy named Chase Miles, who I do not know at all. I just discovered his music on iTunes and wrote him and told him it was dope and asked him if I could use it, and he immediately responded yes, and what a find. Take a listen. Right? 
Chase Miles. He's on SoundCloud. I'll put all his info in the links to this podcast. I was blown away when I went to his channel. He's got, uh, you know, he's, he seems to just be uh, talented in whatever genre he touches. We're going to hit two types of sounds that he's done and just love them equally. Everybody has their own belief systems, and you know, I, I, I kind of, if this makes any sense, I, I sort of believe in all of them, but I don't know if I believe in the universality of any of them. But one of the systems that I uh, have read a little bit about, not a lot, but I got to this one part that really kind of changed my life, and that was feng shui. And so, uh, you know, I hope I've prefaced this to say I'm not an expert in feng shui, but, but what I read essentially said that, that clutter inhibited creativity. And I had always thought of my clutter as kind of uh, developing a coziness in my studio or in my bedroom or in my house in general. And I read this and I just had, was kind of a sucker for, you know, the wisdom of ancient traditions and so I cleaned my house I, I cleaned it up and I got rid of the clutter and what I noticed was that my studio became a blank slate and with that blankness came a lack of history and a lack of to do it was just fresh you know it wasn't like a piece that I had messed up one night when I painted too late it was fresh and it was new and my desk being clean kind of removed what I was what I would call the the pita factor or the pain in the ass factor by having a clean studio my access to beginning my creative time was quicker and those seconds or minutes or whatever that I didn't have to clean it up before I sat down to create, in this case, a visual art project, it kept my creative juices going. The second good piece of advice I got around cleaning actually came from a waiter one time and uh, without telling, getting you, burdening you with too many details, I was, I was working in a restaurant that was pretty unique here in Chapel Hill that was in an old house. And so like an old house, in a really old house, and so like an old house, it was just one of those places that just, you know, always seemed kind of dingy and had carpet on the steps and it was just a sort of awkward space um, but cozy in a way and I remember one time we were getting ready to open the restaurant and I was in charge of vacuuming and I had vacuumed what I was supposed to vacuum and then I looked at these steps that had this weird carpet on them and I knew that that was going to mean like lifting the vacuum each time it was like this weird upright deal and I remember asking the guy, and I think I was asking him to sort of let me off the hook. I said, uh, do you think I should vacuum the stairs? And he immediately like responded to me. He said, well, it looks like they need it. And if we don't do it, no one will. And 
it's the funny thing about life, you know, sometimes the simplest things just land at a certain deep level in you. And I really realized that there was a part of me that believed in some kind of cleaning fairy, some kind of organizing or straightening up fairy that was just going to come and get it. And I would notice that I would just, and I still do it a little bit, but I would just leave receipts around. I would leave things lying around and kind of thinking that one day, one day I would do that, that something would either do it for me or that maybe some motivated version of me that hardly exists would do it. And so I pass this along to you that it's, you know, a chore, but it's also an ownership to clean and to take care of your space and to realize that if no one does it, if you don't do it, that no one will, that there are certain things, certain stairs that only you know where they are and only you know how to vacuum. Just a thought. Thank you, Chase Miles. One thing that I have noticed about cleaning that I actually enjoy, and, and we're going to get into the deeper levels of cleaning, but just even at the, no pun intended, surface level of cleaning, is the sense of almost immediate gratification that you feel. Because, you know, you start to study in on, on cleaning one section of the house, and your brain probably correctly just stays in each cleaning moment so you're on the counter and then you're on the stove and then you're on the this thing and then you'll have that moment where you sort of step back and you realize what you've just done and it's a very satisfying feeling I think that as humans we do um, I'm not like an order freak but I do think there's some sense of order it provides a little stability and so that in itself is satisfying and then at a deeper level or maybe just at an equal level there's this sense of satisfaction that you were the one to do it that you were the one to do it now i know that for some of you in the family situation cleaning might have us extra ick to it because you maybe feel like you do the bulk of the cleaning and to you with myself having no experience in that, I can just blow you a kiss and send you a hug and maybe if I think of something to say to get you through other people's crap that you have to clean, I'll do a podcast. Cleaning involves movement, and movement, especially at a cardio level where you start to break a good sweat, 
It is a great way to clean out the body as well. That as you're moving, your body's mechanisms for detoxifying are activating. At least that's my understanding. And that movement and sweat in particular helps the body rid itself of the toxins that even the most careful person is exposed to in our environment. And there are other toxins, and maybe this is getting a little esoteric, but there are other toxins that seem to live in us like fear and anxiety and pessimism. And I can't promise you anything, but I can testify that in my own life, that movement has helped me clean those out. That not that they are clean and gone, but you know, what house stays clean? So my fear dirt <laughs> keeps coming back, but that's not through any fault of my own. I think that's just the passage of time and encountering new things to be afraid of in the future. But movement helps me clean those things out. And at the end of it, much like a cleaning session in my kitchen, I stand back, and maybe not in the moment, but as I stand back and pull away and look at what I've done, I feel great. getting toxin out of the body is just one half of the problem or condition of keeping a clean house and the other thing is what you bring into that house and what things do you bring into the home and of course that could be taken literally but right now I'm kind of thinking about your diet I'm thinking about your eating regimen if you even have one I hope you do because your diet and tweaking it and again I'm not preaching I don't have a degree in anything that would help you in this area, but I can just testify that at my age, I'm basically the same size that I was in college, except that I've filled out a little bit. Now, I do get a lot of exercise, that's true, but even when things like my travel schedule have forced my exercise routine down a little bit, I have noticed that my diet can kind of keep me in check. And I think a lot of us, especially here in the States, don't make enough of a connection between what we're eating and how we feel later, both physically and emotionally. There is a direct, you are what you eat, literally. Your bones, your skin, your muscles, it is all the product of the food that you bring in. And so in the spirit of cleaning house, we can begin to clean the diet. And if we keep a clean diet, then every now and then we can have the indulgent dirty meal. We can bring our sloppy friend called ice cream into the body. But we keep it clean in between.
Along those lines of diet, I want to I want you to consider that in the same way that your bones come from the food you eat, a lot of our thoughts come from the things that we see, hear, read, and process. And you could think of this kind of like your intellectual diet. That you're fed, that your thoughts in some way are emerging from the nutrient-rich or nutrient-poor intellectual property that you are bringing in to your body. And I'm going to give you kind of a weird example that's not going to match who you think I am at all. But for some reason, you know, I, I grew up super pacifist. Um, I was ironically a boxing fan. But I didn't really want to be a part of violence or think that violence was ever the solution. And out of nowhere, in like 2009 maybe, I developed this addiction to watching internet street fights on YouTube. And I wouldn't say that it lasted that long, and I think that it, it went there because in the job I had as bartender, I was constantly wondering if I was going to be in a fight for cutting someone off, you know, limiting their alcohol. And so I was watching these videos, and I was noticing that, like, I was even more than usual at that age, I was sizing every dude up and wondering, like, how they would come at me and all these sort of things. And I remember kind of like when I've binged on eating sugar, I had a sort of stomach ache from the whole thing. And it sounds so stupid and obvious, but I stopped watching those videos. And almost immediately, a relief came over me. And it made the temptation to go watch more stuff like that less and less effective on me. So maybe it's a good idea, we'll listen to some Chase while you do this, to think of your intellectual diet and to think of what you bring into your life. What are you, what are you watching? What are you reading? And could you clean that up? Another thing that's maybe probably one of the more difficult things to clean up, but maybe one of the most beneficial sometimes, is to kind of clean up our own personal history. And I say this again, uh, not as a preacher, but as a, to testify that there was a time in my life when I thought that holding grudges was a good thing, that it showed a sense of strength. And yet that grudge was actually sort of taking up room. It was like a, a big empty refrigerator box 
that after I unpacked my refrigerator, I just left laying around and it took up space and it took up energy and it takes energy to maintain a grudge. It's just like any other building. And so I invite you to at least consider cleaning up some grudges if you have them. Or if you have some guilt about someone that holds a grudge against you, maybe reach out. Maybe see if there's some dirtiness. You can't rewrite your history, but you can clean the sort of museum of your memory from these type of grudges. Of course, all of this kind of moves us up into the head and we can do a little head clearing up there. And I want to throw this out there for your consideration. That a decaying hope becomes a fear. That as hope decays, it becomes a fear that that hope unrealized becomes a source of fear for us and I think that some of us potentially for various reasons can feel a little hopeless and I want to suggest philosophically suggest to you that Perhaps the space in our brains is a little bit limited, that it's not finite, and that there are things that are taking up room. And as weird as it sounds, sometimes I think old hopes take up space, and around them just grows this fear bacteria eating them slowly, those hopes away. I had all these hopes for 2017, and at least uh, some of them are never going to be realized. And I realized that I was just holding on to those hopes and just circling around the fact that they weren't going to be realized and all of this fear was just coming up in me. And so as weird as this sounds, maybe you could clean your head, your headspace, by letting go of some of your old hopes. Like maybe you've had a old hope that you would go back and get some type of training, but nothing's come of it in 15 years, and maybe it's time to realize you're a different person than the person that wrote that hope. And that doesn't mean you're a lesser person, it just means you're different than the person that came up with that one. But the whole idea of letting go of these hopes is so that they can be replaced by new hopes. And that can help you ease the loss of letting go of one hope, is to allow your hope for 27 that isn't going to happen become a new hope for 27.
again, this is Chase Miles. He's on SoundCloud. We're listening to two sort of albums of his, I think you would say. Started off with one, and we're in the middle of another one, and then we're going to move back to the other one. Thank you so much, sir, for your music. Just loving it. Sorry I haven't been on the mic as much as I thought I would. My travel schedule just got the best of me. And to be honest with you guys, I just want to keep it authentic with you. And if I don't have anything to say, I just don't really feel like putting you through me just forcing something out. So I'm sorry I've been off the mic. I'm going to try to be a little bit regular. And then extra special thanks to Australia. All my letters are coming from Australia. It means so much to me to feel like I'm connecting to people on the other side of the world. I can't wait to come out there. It's, you guys are number one on my list for places I want to visit, so thank you. there's another type of cleaning that we can do and I guess in order to explain this one I need to give back give you a little bit of update on my day-to-day right now I am reading some essays by Bertrand Russell which I'll just be honest with you are way over my head and I'm doing my best it's definitely growing me and expanding me Oh, this is so tight. And in this particular essay, he's sort of explaining how men are discussing in a very luxury way how human man knows him or herself. And that I'm just going to use him right now just to keep it a little bit freer but how a man knows himself or how I don't know I feel so weird saying man (laughs) how a person knows a person's self that feels better in my heart through introspection or through the study of their own behavior so those psychologists as Bertrand is explaining to me (laughs) are behaviorist and they believe that we know and learn the inner workings of the mind and of the person through their behavior now i'll be honest with you i have always believed that the most effective way to know yourself is through introspection through listening to your thoughts and understanding their sources and and then seeing your you know, desires move and fluctuate according to those, those thoughts and those feelings. And it seems so obvious to me that my behavior would be perhaps even a better indicator, but in my sort of belief and introspection, I think I have neglected at times my behavior. I know I have. And so this idea that if someone were to really get to know me, that they can't really know me through my introspection unless I 
write a lot or make a podcast, but they're more likely to learn me and who I am through my behavior because my behavior is, can be scientifically observed, more or less. The actions that I do at least can be observed, and that's my behavior. That's my external rhythm. And so I've been thinking a lot about that, that people can't exactly see inside of my head or my heart. They can't see always the struggles or the current work that I'm doing and my introspection. And what they're seeing and interacting with is my behavior. And I believe that those two things are linked, but I think at times I have distanced myself, that I have distanced that link that there's been too long a rope tied between my progress and work on my introspection and what my behavior was revealing. And so as we focus on cleaning, perhaps consider, I invite you to look at your behaviors and see which ones you can clean. those behaviors that can really create a lot of clutter is when you are enabling someone in their negative behaviors and you can just feel it you know like if you've if you've got that friend that calls you all the time totally destroyed over some jerk that they're dating and then they go on to date another jerk and another jerk and they keep sort of you know, crying victim of all these jerks and none of the great advice that you've given them is sinking in and instead you kind of feel like you're their soft pillow to land on, that you're you're sort of enabling their willingness to take these uh, unnecessary leaps out into midair to fall flat on their face because they're not going to hit the ground, they're hitting you. And you feel like the energetic impact of that hitting and, you know, you sort of puff out like one of those big airbags that stuntmen fall into from the tops of buildings. And you can, in your own head, create this clutter because you're always trying to figure out this, this, this puzzle, this rubric. You're trying to figure out, well, what, what advice? How can I reframe this advice? How can I, do I, how can I come up with something new to help my friend? And as controversial as this may be, I think sometimes you just need to let that friend hit the ground. And I don't mean like an abandoning them in an addiction situation or something like that. But, you know, with peace in my heart to allow them to feel the impact of these crazy ass jumps they keep taking. To let them kind of feel it because inside of every person or almost all of us is an instinct to self-preserve. And sometimes that instinct isn't really kicked in. It's not really triggered until we are hit, until we feel the weight of our own actions in real time. There's this guy that I like named A.H. Almas. 
and I haven't studied him thoroughly, but one of the think passages that he wrote about was about compassion. And Almas argued that there were two layers of compassion, that the first layer of compassion, uh, you know, could be demonstrated by the baby that throws the rattle on the ground at whatever age this would be appropriate. And the parent comes over and the baby begins to cry and the parent comes over and grabs the rattle and hands it back to the baby. Well, if the baby keeps throwing the rattle and the parent keeps getting the rattle and bringing it back to the baby, then the baby thinks that this is a game of love. And they don't realize that this is a burden put on the parent. And so Almaz says that there's a second level of compassion. That there's a level where at some point, I guess you'd have to have a baby at a certain age, but we have to explain to the baby that you won't be there always to pick up the rattle and that it would serve them to avoid the distress and the sadness that they feel when they lose their rattle, to not throw it to where they can't reach it. And so, in a way, I'm saying that sometimes the most compassionate thing you can do for the friend or the relative that you feel like you're enabling is to let them land and hit as hard as the distance that they jumped. and let that self-preservation instinct of theirs kick in. I wanna put a little PS on that and just make sure that everyone here knows that I'm not really talking about issues of substance addiction. That's a little bit different deal. And I'm not talking about dropping anyone that's having suicidal discussions with you. So I'm hoping that you can find the sentiment and the weight that I intend with this. Well, that's it for me. Thank you, Chase Miles. He is on SoundCloud. His music is terrific. I've liked just about everything of his so that I can find my way on SoundCloud if I ever need some cool tunes to listen to. If you've got the money and you like his stuff, check him out. See if you can purchase it. I bought his stuff on iTunes. It's terrific, terrific stuff. This little SWV remix to close things out here. I wish you a great, clean week blessings to you if you like what i'm doing i'd love a rating on itunes or a sharing or reposting on soundcloud just talking about it commenting that that really helps get the word out and makes it even more rewarding to do this so thank you very much 